Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Good to be in the house of God, huh? Good to be saved and to want to come to the house of God. Okay, so if you take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 18, we'll uh, get ready to start here. Genesis 18 verse 22. Let's pray first. Father, it is great to be in your house on this first Sunday of the year, Lord, and by coming to your house, we're all saying for this year, more than anything else, we want God. We want you, Lord, in our lives. We want to follow you. We want to get closer to you. And so instruct us to this end, we pray through the word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Genesis 18, verse 22, all right? And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked. And that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I'll spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, Oh, let not my Lord be angry. I will speak. Peradventure there shall thirty be found there. He said, I'll not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be 20 found there. He said, I'll not destroy it for 20's sake. He said, oh, let not my Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure 10 shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham. And Abraham returned unto his place. All right, now. This is a section that we started last week in section. There's a couple sections here. The one we started last week was verses 23 through 25, where we really got to hear the heart of Abraham. Abraham's opening up here before us. We saw that when Abraham drew near to God in verse 23, he was asking this question. And as he asked this question, Abraham referred to a group of people that we never saw before in the scriptures, and they were called the righteous. And right away, it followed that term, We followed that term, the righteous, because it was important for us to follow that. And we needed to completely understand what was meant by the righteous. That's a term which is used by the rabbis a lot. That's a term which is not the same term. It's not the same meaning, I should say, 
as the Bible's term when it uses the term the righteous. So it's of fundamental importance to us to understand the Bible, what it means when it says the righteous. There is a fundamental misunderstanding of why the righteous were referred to as righteous by Abraham. And this fundamental misunderstanding of what meant by the righteous is the reason why lost souls are shocked to find themselves cast into hell. This fundamental misunderstanding is perpetuated by the human heart and many, many, many religions today because this fundamental misunderstanding is that the righteous are righteous because of what they have done or not done. And this is the fundamental deception that lands souls in hell, that a person can be righteous based on what he has done or what he has not done. This is the deception where a person believes he's righteous in himself. This is the deception that's described in Matthew 7, 22 through 23, where the Lord Jesus Christ says that there's going to be a large group of people, he calls them many, that will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Those many who were cast into hell thought they were righteous because they preached in the name of Jesus. They thought they were righteous because they cast out devils in the name of Jesus. They thought they were righteous because they did many wonderful works in the name of Jesus. What they were doing was very religious when they preached and they cast out devils and they did many wonderful works. But they were 100% deceived and were called, first of all, those who never knew God and those who were workers of iniquity. So they thought for sure that they were righteous and said, how could this be? How could this possibly be that there should be such a fundamental disconnect between them as they saw themselves as righteous and God seeing them as workers of iniquity? How is that possible? That they could understand themselves to be righteous and God said they're workers of iniquity. There was this disconnect because every person is deceived with what the Bible calls the disease of the deceptive heart. We are all afflicted with a disease of a deceptive heart that's described in Jeremiah 17, 9, where the Lord said, the heart, and that's a general term to describe a man, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So when God looks over the whole of mankind as a whole, and ask the question, can I find anyone who is righteous in himself? God says, when he looks at this question in Psalm 14, one through three, he makes the conclusion. He says, there's none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God and they are all gone aside, they are all together become filthy, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. 
Or as it says in Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. Then how do we reconcile with what Abraham is talking about in this group called the righteous? When we look at a very religious man, a Pharisee, he's described for us in Luke chapter 18, 11 through 12, where it describes this Pharisee, very religious, and it says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. So here's this Pharisee. He's deceived into thinking that he is righteous. Why? Because of what he did, which he described as giving tithes and fasting twice a week. That Pharisee was deceived into thinking he was righteous because of what he didn't do when he said that he was not unjust and he was not an adulterer, if that Pharisee did not know who Abraham and Lot were, and that Pharisee was just looking at Abraham and Lot, that Pharisee would have said about Abraham, I'm not an adulterer like that man that had a baby with Hagar who was not his wife. Oh, no, I'm righteous. See, that Pharisee would have said, I'm not a liar like that man who lied about Sarah being his wife. Oh, no, not me. I'm righteous. See, that Pharisee would have said about Lot, I'm not unjust like that man who offered up his two daughters to be raped by a violent mob of men. Oh, no, not me. I'm righteous. But God looks at that Pharisee and points the figure at him and says, not righteous. And then God looks at lying Abraham, having a baby with a woman that's not his wife, and God looks at Lot offering up his two daughters to be raped, and God says, righteous. How could that be? How in the world is that possible? And the answer, as we saw last week, is all tied up in that little word that God used to describe the righteousness of Abraham, which we saw in Genesis 15, 6, where it says in the English, in he believed in the Lord, and he counted it, it's that word, he counted it to him for righteousness. That's the word counted is the word chashav, and no one can understand how a person can be righteous without understanding the background of that word counted or chashav, because no one can understand the book of Romans without understanding what that word means, counted or chashav or what the book of Romans means when it says imputed. In Romans 4.11, in Romans 4.22, in Romans 4.23, in Romans 4.24, and in Romans 5.13. That's the theme of the book of Romans. It's a righteousness by faith. It's God's righteousness. And in all those references in the book of Romans, it's referring back to that one verse in Genesis 15.6 and that one word, counted, or chashav. And so we saw last week that chashav is the word that's used most to describe, 15 times it's used in the book of Exodus, to describe the work of two people, Betzalel and Oholiab, as they worked on the cloth of the curtains and the ephod, and as they used those threads of blue and purple and scarlet to do two works, embroider the cherubim and to weave the threads through there. We saw how the only way a person is made righteous 
is when God does that same work that was associated with those two men who made the tabernacle, Bezalel and, and Aholiab, as they embroidered and they wove the righteous, they wove their threads, and the picture with that is of God weaving the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ into a soul. And that only happens when a soul is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's described in the Bible as a person who is in Christ. And that's what it means in John 6.56 when he said, he that dwelleth in me and I in him. And the Lord Jesus described that person as a branch in John 15.4 when he said, abide in me and I in him. In John 15.5, I am the vine and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him. And again, he described this person in Christ in John 14.20 when he said, I am in my father and ye in me and I in you. And when a person is in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ is in that person, then God sits down and he does the work of Bethlehem and Aholiab as the great embroiderer and weaver of the soul where he embroiders onto that soul the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. As it says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us righteousness? In other words, put that, this is to explain, you can explain it this way. You are in Christ Jesus, who God has woven into and embroidered onto the soul, the righteousness of Christ. And when God weaves and embroiders his righteousness into our souls, it can't be removed. It can't be removed. Look at my tie this morning. You see my tie? Some of you have seen this before. I wore this tie purposely because it has our company name, Scanabodies, a logo, antibody on there, and the words, harnessing God's elegant antibody creation. See, that's the tie. I can't even see the tie material underneath this embroidering. It's, and as a matter of fact, it's impossible to remove this embroider from the tie. If you tried, you would destroy the tie. So don't try, please. <laughs> I like the tie, nice red color. Because the tie and the re-embroidering have become one, they're one. I bought this tie without any embroidering on it, and then I gave it to the embroiderer, and I knew she was going to permanently embroider onto this tie. And I knew my tie would never be the same, and I knew I could never remove the embroidering from this tie, I knew that. And when I gave my tie to the embroiderer, I knew that she was going to take it past the point of no return, see? <laughs> That's the way it is with the soul. That's the way it is with the soul who surrenders all and throws open the door of his heart for the Lord Jesus Christ to come in, and he's in Christ, and the Lord Jesus is in him, and what happens, like my tie, that soul becomes permanently embroidered with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his righteousness, God's righteousness, becomes woven into our souls. And it can never be removed. His righteousness has been hashaved into it. And so keeping the meaning of hashav as to weave and embroider, we clarify Genesis 15, 6, when we bring this meaning of chashav by explaining it like this. And he believed in the Lord, 
And God wove his righteousness into Abraham's soul. Speaking about Abraham, we clarified Romans 4, 21 through 22 by explaining it this way. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform, and therefore God embroidered his righteousness onto Abraham's soul. So we clarified James 2.23 by explaining it this way. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and God wove his righteousness into Abraham, and he was called the friend of God. So God's embroidered righteousness of Christ on the soul is the only righteousness that can guarantee a person's entrance into heaven to stand in the congregation of the righteous as described in the first Psalm, verse five, where it says, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. See, it's God's woven righteousness of Christ on the soul. It's the only way to heaven. That's what he was talking about when he said in John 14, 6, that Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So notice how this three-verse section starts with the words, and Abraham drew near, it says in Genesis 18, 23. Abraham drew near and said. So the verse does not simply say, and Abraham said. doesn't say that. And these two words that are put there, we take a special notice of them because they're important. It says, and Abraham drew near and said. It means that Abraham just didn't speak from a distance, but what we see from these two words is that Abraham got right in front of God. He got into God's space. (laughs) Sometimes somebody gets close to you and you say, you're in my space, right? Well, this is what Abraham did. He got right in God's space. And God welcomed Abraham to get into his space. And by drawing near, we see that Abraham is saying that it's not good enough for me just to get the message across to God. You know, it's not a telegram you know, or, or an email. You know. When these words are here, by drawing near, Abraham was doing something very, very important. By drawing near, Abraham was linking his message to himself. Abraham was linking his message to himself. By drawing near was the one way for Abraham to link himself to his message. Now, there was another way that the Bible describes this linking the message together and to his or her message, and it's when the speaker linked his or her message in the Bible and they linked it to the message by associating their message with their voice. And when Rebecca wanted to command her son Jacob to go and deceive your father, and he wasn't really willing to do that. I mean, he was afraid of being caught. But she overcame his resistance by three words that she kept using in Genesis 27. She said it this way, Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. See how she didn't say obey what my words? She said obey my voice. And then in Genesis 27, 13, it says, And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice and go fetch me them. And in Genesis 27, 43, Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise. Flee thou to Laban, my brother, to Haran. Now, why didn't Rebekah say to Jacob, do what I tell you to do, you know, obey my words or do this? Why did she keep making reference to her voice? 
Because when Rebecca wanted Jacob to do what she was commanding, mama's boy, I shouldn't put it that way, <laughs> to do what she was commanding. Right. Why'd she keep saying, obey my voice? Because Rebecca knew she had to overcome Jacob's resistance to deceive his father. And she needed to pull out all the stops, and she did. And she put maximum pressure on uh, little Jakey to go execute her plan. And she put this ultimate pressure on Jacob by linking her message to herself. Jake, this is your mother speaking. This is your mother commanding you what to do. And she wanted Jacob to see her commands as linked to his mother. So she kept saying to Jacob, obey my voice. Remember who's commanding you to do this. And do it. Don't think. Just do it. I'm telling you. I'm your mother. And it worked. And Jacob obeyed his mother. Because she linked her command to herself with the obey my voice routine. But when God wanted Abraham to hold nothing back and to sacrifice his son Isaac in Genesis 22, God did exactly the same thing. He linked his command to his person. And Abraham was able to move in the direction. He surrendered all. He was about to sacrifice his son Isaac because Abraham saw the link between the command and the Lord Jesus Christ and God who was commanding him. See, it worked so well so that when God described what Abraham did, God used exactly the same language that Rebekah did when God said in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, 18, thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. And when God, or when the Lord Jesus Christ, when God was commanding the Jewish people to obey his commandments, he used exactly the same language when he spoke to them in Exodus 9, 5. He said, therefore, now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. So he didn't just say, if you keep my covenant, then you'll be a peculiar treasure unto me. But he said, if you obey my voice, indeed, then you're going to be the peculiar treasure unto me. So in each case of this, it was Rebekah saying to her son, Jacob, look at me and hear my voice and what I am commanding you. You will obey me because you will hear my voice in these commands. And the Lord Jesus Christ was saying to Abraham, Abraham, look at me and hear my voice. And when I tell you to sacrifice Isaac, you will see this command as linked to me and you will obey me because you will hear my voice in this command. And when God, the Lord Jesus Christ, was saying to the Jewish people, Jewish people, Israel, he's saying, look at me and hear my voice. And when I tell you to keep my covenant, and when you see this command linked to me, you will obey me because you will hear my voice in this command. And in exactly the same way, when we read the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to us exactly the same thing. The Lord Jesus Christ says to each one of us, Christian, when you read your Bible, look at me and hear my voice And when I tell you to obey what the Bible commands, when you see that this Bible is linked to me, you will obey me because you will hear my voice in the Bible. See, in all these cases, 
It's the speaker linking himself or herself with the message. So when we read in verse 23, in Genesis 18, 23, and Abraham drew near and said, what we're seeing with those words, and Abraham drew near, is Abraham linking himself to the message. And the message in this case is a message of intercession. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071, or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you have a heart for Israel and lost Jewish people in America? Then come work in Southern California as a full-time or volunteer missionary working with Tom Cantor in Israel Restoration Ministries, reaching lost Jewish people with their Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. Hourly wage, 401k, health insurance, company car, and phone, and other amazing benefits. Call us, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, israelrestoration.org.